Welcome to the infirmary. A couple of sick people on this podcast today. Adam Azer, Scott White, now Melchior. Al, run as fast as you can. You're going to be <laughs> coughing and sneezing pretty soon. Sorry. That's great. Well, look forward to me hacking on these uh, podcasts in a couple of days probably. Yeah, Scott and I are a little under the weather, but uh, we're here on Tuesday, the 14th of February, to talk trends, the best moves of the offseason, and some news items. So we're looking at a few things here. We're going to look at, at baseball trends, more steals, less power than what we used to see a few years ago. We're going to look at how that affects you on draft day, what that means for you when you're drafting your fantasy team. We're going to talk about... Uh, the top three and the bottom three off-season moves. Al and Scott each came up with their own list. So basically, we've talked about it all throughout the off-season. Every time there's been a major move, today we're going to talk about Jeremy Guthrie being traded to the Rockies. We've talked about it, but in case you missed those podcasts, we're going to sum it all up, pick the best three moves fantasy-wise, the worst three moves fantasy-wise, and we'll start right now with the news. But first, I want to give out our email address. It's fantasybaseball at cbsinteractive.com. If you want to send us an email, please put podcast in the subject line. Fantasybaseball at cbsinteractive.com. At CBS Scott White, at Al Melk CBS, Al M E L C CBS, and at Adam Azer, A I Z E R. Follow us on Twitter. Here we go, boys. Jeremy Guthrie traded to the Rockies for Jason Hamill and Matt Lindstrom. I didn't give this one too much of a look, Scott, when I first saw it. I was like, yeah, whatever. What do you think? Yeah, a few lower end names as far as fantasy owners are concerned. I, I think. I think it, it's probably going to be a bad move for Guthrie because he's a pitch-to-contact pitcher going to Coors Field. You know, on the one hand, it's a better team, and, and he, he his win total was always buried in pitching for last place Baltimore, but I think uh, the the chances of his ERA going up are, are still high enough that I'm going to stay away. Um and, and then kind of the reverse story with Jason Hamill. He's he's a little more interesting to me in AL only leagues, even though he's going to the AL East. Um, I know he's been a viable option in those deeper formats in the past, and I think he can be again. Matt Lindstrom's an interesting name to me because they still haven't sorted out their closer situation in Baltimore. Obviously, it looks like... Uh, Jim Johnson. I was thinking Joe Johnson. That's not <laughs> Jim Johnson. It looks like is gonna is is the leading candidate to close coming, going into the year. But they still have Kevin Gregg there, who managers like closing for whatever reason. And and Matt Lindstrom has experience in the role. So ultimately, I'm not sure it matters in mixed leagues because all these guys are going to be the last resort for saves in fantasy. But uh, I I could see it going to Lindstrom. I could too. Um, I think I'd rather see it go to Jim Johnson. Uh, Lindstrom already had his uh, crack at closing in Florida. It didn't go particularly well. Um, I like Johnson's potential a little better. But if he gets the shot, I mean, ultimately, if you get the save opportunities, that's uh, what really matters. And I think he could do well, well enough. Um, you know, but like Scott said, he's probably not really going to be a, a, a much of a viable option in standard mixed leagues. But that's probably the biggest potential impact here. Uh, like Scott, I like the move for, for Jason Hamill. I think he gets a, a fresh start, a better opportunity perhaps to uh, stick in the rotation in Baltimore. And as far as Guthrie goes, it's not enough to really make him a guy you draft in standard mixed leagues, but I actually like the move to Colorado, which is not something I would say very often for a pitcher. And yeah, and he's a fly ball guy, but remember, he's coming from pitching his home games at Camden Yards which isn't really great either. It wasn't great for him. So, you know, he may give up a few more home runs in cores, but um, he gets to move, move to a much, much better division 
for him instead of not only going in Camden Yards half his games, but then Yankee Stadium, Rogers Center. Now, you know, Fenway Park's not too hitter friendly. Yeah, exactly. Or friendly. Exactly right. So that's kind of a nightmare. Uh, you know, now, yeah, he has half of his games at Coors Field, but, uh, you know, the rest of the time he's Dodger Stadium, AT&T Park, Petco. Um, that's, that's pretty nice. So, um, on balance, I think it's a, it's a little bit of a positive for Guthrie. You could draft him, though? In a mixed well, league, uh, in a deeper one, sure, and and in a standard mixed league, uh, you know, on those old games, uh, those weeks where he has away games, I could see streaming him in. Okay, yeah, I, I'm still a little. I I think a lot of times we talk about hitters parks versus pitcher parks. I, I think Coors Field is such a special exception as far as park factors go because it's a hitters park, but it's a big park, so. Yeah. Uh, you not only have to worry about balls going over the fence, but falling between outfielders. And yeah. and then on top of that, the thin air affects the way breaking pitchers are thrown. So you can't even trust a pitcher's arsenal. I'm just I'm just scared any time a pitcher goes there. Um, yeah, no, I don't blame you. I'm sure the pitchers are scared too. Uh, the the uh, we just did a a roto mock draft. Unless you guys are playing this one out, are you the one that was just uh, on the site? Not playing it out. We'll have more. Roto drafts, but we did just do one uh, last week. So the last two picks of the draft were Bud Norris and R.A. Dickey. Do you like Guthrie better than those guys in a mixed league? No. 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 Like I said, I would, you know, stream Guthrie in, but I I wouldn't draft him in that format. Right. Okay. So uh, Roy Oswalt, real quick, still as of Tuesday, no team yet. Reds GM Walt Jockety said, last he heard, Oswald was headed to Texas. But we heard, you know, maybe he's going to Cincinnati, too. So what, what's going on, Al? No, we don't know. Walt Jockety isn't going to help us out with this much <laughs> because uh, he says uh, that what you're reading is merely rumor and speculation. They haven't even been in contact with Oswald. But, you know, obviously we've been reading reports that contradict that claim. And, and teams aren't always necessarily forthcoming with uh, what they're doing. So um, we really, at this point, just have to sit and wait like every, everybody else and and uh, you know see what what shakes out but just the fact that there seems to be some interest there in Cincinnati you can debate whether they are talking to him not not talking to him we don't know that but the, that there's some level of interest there I think is an intriguing thing because they've already got a crowded situation where you know if the season started today most likely you wouldn't have rotation spots for either Araldus Chapman or Jeff Francis and there's really compelling reasons for both of those guys to be starting the Reds sure. don't have a lefty they could use Francis and Chapman needs to you know prove that he can start so you add uh, Oswalt in there and, and Homer Bailey's a guy who uh, you know looks to be an odd mad out but I think he's primed for a, a, a good season and uh, it's uh, it's just going to be I think intriguing and, and important to watch what happens and one last note Ioannis Cespedes still not allowed to sign a contract he has to be unblocked by the Office of Foreign Assets Control before he can do that so we'll keep an eye on it let's talk about baseball trends and how they relate to fantasy. We did some some numbers crunching before the show, and we looked at 2009, 2010, and 2011. Here are the home runs in 2009, 10, and 11. 5,042 in 2009, 4,613 in 2010, 4,552 in 2011. So a big decrease from 2009 to 2010, slight one last year from 2010. Uh, Steals. 2009, 2,970, 2010, 2,959, 2011, 3,279. I think there is compelling data there to say that 
I, I'm, I don't think I'm, you know, breaking any news here, but <laughs> less power, more more base running these days, right? Yeah, it's 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 an example of teams looking to generate offense in other. The Steels are uh, looking to generate offense in other ways because they can't rely on uh, a lineup full of sluggers anymore because pitching has uh, uh, gotten to be so much better over the last couple of years and hitting has kind of taken a step back. Uh, and, and I think uh, that that's something to keep in mind, particularly in roto leagues, where in the past you might have been more inclined to uh, target a steals guy early. Um, now there's a higher premium on power. You need to make sure you have that uh, that aspect of your team put together w- uh, by the time you get to the middle rounds or else it, it might be hard to play catch-up. One example of that was actually in that Roto League you're talking about. Okay. I, I hadn't filled my second base spot yet. I still hadn't drafted a pitcher. This was the seventh round. I kind of wanted to draft a pitcher, pitcher at that point. But Seven rounds, I, I wow. looked at the players I had. I had a Victorino. I had a Shinsu Chu. Guys, not really big sluggers. And uh, Dan Uglo was still there on the board as as a second baseman, a position I needed to fill. So it was him and I think only two other guys projected to hit 30 homers. So even though seventh round seems maybe uh, maybe a round or two early for Uglo, I know he went in the ninth round in another mock draft we had this offseason because power was... You know, the the real big power hitters were all gone at that point. He was one of the few remaining. I, I felt compelled to take him there. Interesting. Al, any thoughts on how this affects you on draft day when you're looking at getting steals and you're looking at getting um, power? Actually, before you do that, I'll just give out the first round. Miguel Cabrera went number one, Pujols two, Vado three, Kemp four, Tulowitzki five, Jose Bautista six, Ellsbury, 7, Pedroia, 8, Granderson, 9, Adrian Gonzalez, 10, Carlos Gonzalez, 11, and Cano, 12. All right, Al, I'm sorry to interrupt you before you even started speaking. That's right. Gave me an extra, you know, bought me an extra 30 seconds or so to figure out, you know, what what (laughs) I think about this. And, um, you know, I don't know if maybe it's just that I I notice it more because I am aware of the trends and I'm, I'm looking for evidence to back it up. But it certainly seems like the last year or two in mock and actual drafts that people have been waiting more on pitching. And, um, you know, it's not like a couple years ago when, uh, you know, Tim Lincecum seemed to be the, the consensus top guy. And, you know, there were a handful of, of really predictable ace types. And uh, now that, you know, even at the top levels, there seems to be a lot more uh, inter- interchangeability. Uh, and, you know, there's some trends b- above and beyond the ones you mentioned. Uh, it's not just that home runs are down. I mean, um, run scoring is down and down dramatically right. year to year. Strikeouts are up. Walks are down. So every aspect of offense, aside from the steals last year, uh, have, have been uh, headed in reverse. I think it's pretty interesting in this draft that we did not have one pitcher taken until the 21st pick. What does that say? Is that just... Is that just fluky? And well, part of draft? it, part of it's that it's a roto league as uh-huh. opposed to a head-to-head. Um, if it was head-to-head, you would have probably seen a pitcher or two even in the first round. So is this standard um, for roto? I wouldn't say standard. Usually, you do see maybe one pitcher taken at the end of the first round, maybe a couple more in the second round. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I mean, that just kind of goes to Al's point about the pitchers. There's so many more guys who who put up ace numbers or near ace numbers that you don't necessarily have to reach for one that early. I I think last year we talked about it. It was like 20 names at the top who kind of 
fit into that category. Let me ask you, I throw out the name Matt Cain. Like, what, what type of pitcher are you thinking with yeah, Matt Cain? Yeah, it's, it's really strange. Matt Cain just seems to keep on dropping. It's like, he's it's, awesome. Yeah. But sub, people don't appreciate how awesome he is. Sub-3 ERA, whip below 1-2 every year, and, and, you know, not a bad strikeout rate. I got him in the in the eighth round, yeah. the first pitcher I took, Matt Cain, eighth wow. round. So, so I have a very different take on Matt Cain here because you say not a bad strikeout rate, but not really a, for a starting pitcher. Not really a. It's good, but, but it's not very good. A guy who's going to pitch two hundred twenty innings every year. I mean, he's going to strike out one hundred seventy five batters. That's. I, I think when you factor in how many innings, innings. And, and that strikeouts are are, are judged by total rather right. than ratio in in roto leagues. I mean, he's. In my mind, he's not quite an ace, yeah. but he's just a step back, and, and that's the 27th pitcher in our rotisserie rankings. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't really have any any you know argument there, but it's just the, the point that I did want to make about Kane is that I can understand why he would drop because strikeouts are up, and that's not an area where he's really going to help you. So... Um, you know, he's a guy who, you know, because he, he succeeds so much, but with a, a really a very average strikeout rate for a starting pitcher, um, you know, he's he's just not going to hold the same allure as somebody who puts up a similar ERA and a similar whip, but does it a, a, a different way with strikeouts. This was kind of a tricky topic for us. We didn't know the best way to approach it. So I'm, I'm asking a broad question here. You guys have been doing fantasy drafts for so long. Have you seen major changes in the way people go about drafting with certain positions going higher? I mean, one of the things we talk about off-air is that there are more catchers that can actually hit somewhat capably. Um, anything that jumps out at you as you've seen the changes over the years and things that we need to know going into 2012? Well, I mean, just to to go dig deeper into that, that catcher um, thing, you know, in years past it was – you know, there was a Joe Maurer, a Victor Martinez at the top, and if you didn't get one of those, you might as well just wait till the end of the draft. Now there's so many more catchers who put up viable fantasy numbers that uh, you don't you don't want to go to that extreme with them. You would rather go ahead and select one in the you know six to eight round range rather than be the guy who misses out and has to settle for a a, a Kurt Suzuki type as your your starting catcher. Obviously, the Victor Martinez injury hurts that depth a little, but you've still got Maurer and Posey coming back from injury, Weeders and Miguel Montero taking big steps forward, Jesus Montero entering the picture, Carlos Santana was the big breakout last year. Uh, it goes a good nine or ten deep, I think, of of legitimate um, all-star potential at that position, and uh, and that's that's... Definitely yeah. a change from a five years change. ago. I mean, that's like tight ends. Yeah. Right? I mean, back back in the day, it was like you take Antonio Gates or whatever, and then there was like Dallas Clark, but so many of the tight ends were terrible. Yeah. And and now, obviously, this is not the case. Al, any final thoughts here? Well, I think and it's really just piggybacking on, on what Scott's saying about catchers, that I think that the whole allure of um, drafting at scarce positions has really diminished quite a bit the last few years. And it's not just catchers. I mean, we've seen, you know, the rise of the, you know, the super short stop. Uh, and granted, it's not a real deep, you know, pool there. But I mean, you know, you have, you know, at least three short stops that, you know, hit like outfielders. Um, second base has become much, much deeper and more productive. Third base has diminished 
as a as a position. So there there is something of, of an evening out. And even at the you know the great power positions of first base and outfield and outfield in particular. I mean, if you if you're getting into the third and certainly the fourth round without your number one outfielder, you've, you've got a real problem there. So yeah. you, you really have to go for a big bat. And I even see just in chat rooms and mock drafts that I've participated in where somebody says, you know, I'm going for the big bat early. And there's less talk about going for too low or the big second base bat. And, you know, I got to get myself an outfielder uh, early on. <laughs> Kills, it's killed me the last two years, sleeping on outfielders, yep. even yeah. in head-to-head leagues where I only need three. And this year, I think, might be the, the most extreme example of that if you wait too long to draft an outfielder, particularly in a standard Roto League where you have to start five. Yeah. You're going to be in big trouble because I look, uh, I look through the rankings here. Once you get to about, uh, about the 25-ish range at the position, there, there's a big drop-off. You start to get into the Jason Worths and Ichiro Suzuki's um, Nick Markakis, Adam Jones, guys with clear shortcomings who, yeah, they're they're okay. You can get by with them, but they're not really going to be uh, they're they're not going to be anybody who sets you apart at the position. Um, th- there's a few scattered examples of guys who might be able to exceed expectations, like an Andre Ethier or a Jason Hayward, uh, but but really, there's there's most of even those types are, are are really in that top 20 like Desmond Jennings already he's he's already considered a number 2 outfielder so uh there's not as many fallback options at that position as there normally are by the way in this roto uh, mock draft which is 12 teams it's on our website right now fantasynews.cbsports.com Ryan Braun went 55th overall in the 5th round to Al Melchior so he is an interesting guy, isn't he? He is. He is. And, um, you know, I don't want him to slide uh, any farther than that. In fact, I was really – I started, you know, in the fourth round really looking at him on my queue and hoping that nobody was going to snag him. We are going to recap the offseason moves by looking at the best and the worst of it. We're going to start with Al and your top three. Then we'll go to Scott's uh, top three moves. We're, of course, looking at fantasy impact here. And then we'll go to the bottom three for each of you. Al? Kick it off. Best right. three off-season moves. All right, and I and I'm gonna you know preface this because th- I right away came up with three guys immediately for the the negative impact. Um, <laughs> the, the, there's nobody that I feel like you know. Wow, this is a great move. Um, you know, for this player, this free agent, or, or somebody who's been traded. But these three guys, I think, get you know at least a notable bump. Starting with Aramis Ramirez. Um, and and he's somebody as a fly ball p- uh, hitter who really does benefit from being in a home run park, and he makes I'd say what you know maybe a slight positive you know certainly no worse than lateral move from Wrigley Field to Miller Park and definitely gets a better supporting cast even with Ryan Braun likely out for fifty months or fifty months it seems like fifty months <laughs> fifty games don't I don't know, know fifty months <laughs> seems like you reach for him in the fifth yeah, round that, yeah that would be bad <laughs> but with him uh, likely out for fifty games and uh, with Prince Fielder being gone you know that even so um, you know they've got a certainly a better lineup to hit in than than the Cubs first pick of round nine ninety seventh overall in the Roto drafts good bad uh, I think potential bargain. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely not bad. Next up for you, Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran and, um, you know, a guy who's played in recent years in pitcher's parks. First, um, you know, for the Mets in, in Shea and in City Field. And then AT&T Park in San Francisco. Moves to, you know, a, a park that 
is maybe even tougher on hitters, uh, which is Bush Stadium. But the NL Central is arguably the best hitters division with the AL East maybe, you know, con- contending with that that honor. But, um, you know, he'll get a lot more opportunities uh, to hit for good power uh, hitting in that division. And again, you know, sort of like what I was saying about Aramis Ramirez, sure, the Cardinals are, are hurt by the departure of pools, but, you know, still some good bats in that lineup, some better protection than I think he had either in San Francisco or New York. So I think, you know, for those reasons that uh, Beltron, if he can stay healthy, could be uh, surprisingly productive this year. Beltron went in the 16th round, third in the 16th round, 183rd overall. Yeah, and I think that's a, a very good uh, risk to take at that point. I really see not not much to lose. I, there. I think the well in in Beltron's case, there one reason he went so late is because it's roto as opposed to head to head, and Beltron not being a base stealer anymore. A lot of his values tied in doubles and walks, which obviously don't have any value in roto. So he's a little more valuable in head to head. Sure. Um, I, I think. Just the fact that both of those guys are obviously up there in years, too, is another reason uh, you're going to see some fantasy owners stay away from them, which might allow them to fall and yeah. and uh, get them, and you can get them at potential bargain prices. And Al, you like Jonathan Sanchez going to Kansas City? Yeah, and I feel like this is a little bit of a, a repeat from uh, a recent podcast when uh, I think Scott and I had a little bit of a debate about the the relative value of him versus Brandon Morrow. And part of the reason that I do like Sanchez this year, aside from the fact that I, I like his trends up until last June, uh, and I think injuries played a role there, is I like the move to the Royals. I think um, you know they will certainly give him more run support than the Giants uh, did in recent years. So I think he'll he'll get more Sanchez will get more wins and um, he goes to a park that's at least as favorable as AT&T Park was in San Francisco so um, I think Sanchez is going to be a nice surprise this uh, this season not drafted in this roto mix yeah league. yeah I think that's that's a mistake and, and I was one of the people not to draft him so but you know again just to look at those those last pitchers taken but Norris R.A. Dickey before that uh, Johan Santana Ryan Vogel song, Bruce Chen even. Yeah. Ugh. You like uh, Sanchez better than those guys? <laughs> I do. Vogel song, maybe not, but the rest of them certainly. I, I, Bruce Chen is <laughs> kind of an inside joke among some of the staffers here. They right. like to act like he's the best pitcher in the world because I don't know. I'm not he, sure if they're joking. He won one of them a fantasy championship or oh. something. I, I, I don't know. Uh, so, you know, he's uh, – I, I would say he's below a few of the names on that list, and Chen. This is. won't be the only league he's drafted in, I'm sure. Yeah, Chen. Well, Scott, let's let's go to your three. All okay. right, your three best off-season moves. Number one, Prince Fielder to the Tigers, but not because of Prince Fielder. Right, not because of Prince Fielder. This is the move that, without question, got me the most excited. It got me uh, jumping around the room and and. Uh, Yelling at everybody. Wait, you weren't really jumping. No, I was pretty much jumping and <laughs> shouting to everyone within earshot that Miguel Cabrera is going to be a third baseman now. He's the best player in fantasy, and and that's ultimately what I what this means. I mean, when when the news first broke that Fielder was going to that was signing with the Tigers, the thought was okay, which of these guys is going to play DH? But once it became clear that Cabrera was the third baseman, obviously that changed the whole. Um, the whole uh, 
first first round of the draft there uh, because as soon as he gets that third base eligibility, he's going to be uh, arguably the best hitter in fantasy at one of the weaker positions in fantasy. And so, you know, I think it's pretty obvious why that was a good move there. Number two, and he did go number one, by the way, in that fantasy draft. Number two on your list is Michael Pineda to the Yankees. Michael Pineda went 82nd overall toward the end of the seventh round. He was taken by a Red Sox fan. So yeah. how about that? Yeah, well, that just goes to show you what kind of year Pineda is lining up to have here. The issue, the the biggest issue for me with Pineda, love the strikeout rate, love the walk rate in relation to the strikeout rate, and uh, really thought he had a chance to break through as a fantasy ace. My only hesitation was, well, he pitches for the Mariners. Look at all the problems Felix Hernandez has had because of that over the last couple years. It's just not going to work. Well, now he's joining the Yankees, who have maybe the best offense of any team in baseball. And I, I, I don't think the run support, lack of run support, I don't think the poor supporting cast is going to be an issue for Pineda anymore. Uh, assuming he, he takes the next step forward with the innings, I think 15, 16-plus wins is the expectation for him. And, and with that strikeout rate... I can live with any rise in ERA that results from him going to the hitter's park. Uh, I think uh, I think this is something that could potentially allow him to be a top 15 starting pitcher before season's end. So uh, obviously you don't have to draft him that early. I think where he went there in the Roto draft is, is a way to get him at a good value. Jason Kubel, third for you. He goes to Arizona, and Kubel was taken by Al Melchior in the 20th round, 234th overall. Yeah, and Kubel's a guy who I could actually see him going undrafted in a lot of mixed leagues, less less likely in Roto where you have five outfielders than in head-to-head where you only start three. Uh, but I I think this move is going to be is going to really help him just not that long ago, 2009, Kubel hit 300 with 28 homers and a 907 OPS. Um what happened right after that year was the Twins moved to Target Field. Not a great place to hit. The Metrodome was known as a good hitter's park. Kubel consistently put up OPSs 100 points higher than on the road when he played there. Uh, so it, it seems to me that there's a clear connection between the move to Target Field and the drop in Kubel's numbers. So now that he's going back to a hitter's park in Arizona, um, assuming he's able to avoid some of the health issues he had last year, I think he could get get back to that 290-25 homer range uh, that would make him even more valuable today than it made him in 2009. So uh, as someone who's still in the prime of his career, uh, I think he's someone to target with a late-round pick. So now we'll go to the bottom three. You both had Yonder Alonso in this uh, bottom three offseason move. So I'll just let Al take care of that for both he and Scott, for him and Scott. So, all right, Al, your, your three worst moves in terms of fantasy impact for the offseason. Let's start with Yonder Alonso going from the Reds to the Padres organization. All right, well, if Scott was, you know, jumping around and, and dancing uh, when the Tiger signed fielder then, you know. <laughs> you were hiding under your desk. There, yeah, there, there was, you know, throwing, oh. of, throwing of things and, uh, you know, a lot of unhappiness with this uh, trade of Alonso to the Padres because it's just the, the – it's going from a really good venue in Cincinnati and a, and a really good lineup to – the opposite situation in San Diego, and he's going to be, you know, doubly penalized as a as a left-handed hitter in, in Petco Park. So it's just it's just a 
nightmare of a transition for him. You gonna even draft him in keeper leagues, like deep leagues, the hope he gets uh, traded. I mean the interesting thing about this is he went from maybe not making much of an impact in two thousand eleven because he was blocked by Votto to now he definitely will. But because it's in San Diego because it looks like he's gonna be stuck in San Diego for a while now that Anthony Rizzo is gone. Uh I think this is bad news for his keeper value and, and obviously bad news this year for him as well. Chris Ionetta from Colorado to the Angels. Yeah, same kind of story, except you know you can really see the impact here. He's always been a guy who's benefited greatly from playing his home game, home games at Coors Field, very um, crooked uh, splits uh, home and away for Ionetta. And now he goes not only to a home ballpark that's not very power-friendly, but a division that also includes uh, frequent visits to Seattle and Oakland, where he's going to have even worse problems likely in those stadiums so um you know ionetta is a guy who you know you have to rely on him to hit home runs to have fantasy value he's probably going to lose a lot of that and uh you're going to be left with a, a catcher with a you know probably not even moderate power and a really bad batting average and finally, Guillermo Moscoso from Oakland to the Rockies. Yeah, more uh, extreme park factor fun. Uh, you know, Moscoso's a guy who, you know, really thrived in Oakland. Uh, he was just a perfect fit for that ballpark. Um, you know, had low ERA and whip because he, he just became a pop-up machine. And Oakland tends to do that for their pitchers. And now he's going to, to Colorado where, you know, there's, those fly balls are going to be falling in for doubles and triples and going over the fence for home runs. And he's one of the major league's most extreme fly ball pitchers. And I've said it before. I'll probably say it 50 more times this season. I don't understand why the Rockies targeted him, why they, they went and pursued him, because he's just about the worst guy they could fit into that rotation. I guess they like fly ball pitchers, huh? Well, Guthrie, they, yep. they need an Al Melchior in their front office. They do. <laughs> they, I'm sure they got them straight. smart people there who have <laughs> some reason for this, but I, I'm not smart enough to figure out what it is. Well, we'll go to Scott's bad list here. Yonder Alonso is on there. We talked about him. Jose Reyes to the Marlins, and this is not about Jose Reyes. You get really tricky with these, huh? I do. I, I, well, I mean, I, I sat there and thought, okay, what happened in the offseason that most excited me as a fantasy owner and what most depressed me? And, and as Prince Fielder excited me because of the Miguel Cabrera move, Jose Reyes depresses me because of the Hanley Ramirez move. Um, obviously, I'm a guy who's who's preached to draft the high-end shortstops in the first round. You know, Hanley wasn't going to be that guy anyway this year because he was coming off the shoulder surgery and 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 the year where he struggled to put up elite numbers. Uh, so his his fantasy value was already in line to take a hit. But now that he's moving to third base, long term, uh, his value is as a first rounder. I think is destroyed. I'm not sure he's ever going to get back to that point. Uh, once he goes to being eligible only at third base. And uh, even while he's eligible at shortstop this year, uh, there, there's been reports that he's not particularly enthused about this move. And an unhappy Hanley... Uh, is there anything other than an unhappy Hanley? Well, <laughs> yeah, that, that that's a point too. But I, I think it, it's been clear over the years that uh, Hanley's performance is influenced by his mood, and I'm not sure his mood is where you want it to be as a fantasy owner right now. I took him in the fourth round, I think. Third or fourth? Third round. Third, third round, round, sorry. It, it was a good value where you took It was like midway through the third round. Yeah, I had the sixth pick, so yeah. I yeah. took him mid-third round in a head-to-head league. In the Roto League, he went with a third pick of the second round, 15th overall. 
you know, it, it's a gamble wherever you take him. Obviously, I, I think he's I think he's going to be better than he was last year. But I'm not of the mindset that, that thinks he's going to ever be back to being the Hanley he was uh, two, three years ago. In which case, you know, third round, if he's even close to that, a guy who's eligible at shortstop, okay, it's going to work out fine. But if he's less than that, then uh, you might be disappointed you didn't take somebody else at that point in the draft. You know, we really should have had managing editor Peter Madden on the show today because almost every one of these guys that we're about to talk about or we have talked about, he drafted. He took Jose Reyes. Or excuse me. He took Hanley Ramirez. He took Melky Cabrera, who is also on Scott's list. He took Carlos Beltran. He took Michael Pineda. He's going to enjoy this show. It's going to give him a lot of thoughts about the, the team he just drafted in the Roto League. But Melky Cabrera is uh, your other bad move. He goes to the Giants, and yeah. he was taken 154th overall, 13th round, the end of the 13th round. Yeah, this is – I kind of have subjective reasoning this with this one. Yeah, Al's mentioned before that, well, everybody knows San Francisco is a, hitter, is a pitcher's park, but Kansas City pretty much is too. And that might be all well and good, but – I just felt like coming off the year Cabrera had, clearly he was comfortable in Kansas City. He had this nucleus of young hitters developing around him. You know, was going to have, at least as far as the lineup is concerned, a good supporting cast. Now he goes to San Francisco, and it's obviously a huge ballpark. Obviously not a good lineup. And, and just removing him from his comfort zone there in Kansas City, you know, before that, I was I was somewhat optimistic he might be able to repeat those breakout numbers of 2011. But in San Francisco, where so many overachieving hitters have gone to die over the years, <laughs> I just don't see it happening. Is that something about the Bay Area? Yeah, it happens with <laughs> Oakland too. I mean, I, I'm sure the parks both you know both of those parks obviously pitchers parks. I'm sure that doesn't help. Well, but. one of them is going to have to sign Manny Ramirez then, right? Well, it looks like the one on the East Bay is the better candidate for that. Which one would that the, be? The, the DAs. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're interested in him. Yeah, I know that. Um, he better play DH, so I wouldn't expect any <laughs> National right. League team to take a flyer on him. And do you know what the off-season event that got me jazzed up was? Super Bowl win you got for it. the New York Giants. Giants with the Super Bowl. That only took me 35 minutes to bring that one. Uh, I thought it was uh, Lynn Sanity. Oh, yeah. Jeremy <laughs> Lynn. <laughs> that kid. Oh, man. Good, good week for uh, the New York sports fan, huh? Great week. And for a Miami Hurricanes and New York Giants fan, Sunday, the Hurricanes go into Cameron Indoor Stadium and beat Duke for the first time ever, which I think everybody can get behind. Yeah, absolutely. And then the Giants beat the Patriots. Did you have fun watching the Super Bowl, Scott? You didn't, right? I don't want to uh, see a 9-17. I didn't want to. You know what? <laughs> we were talking about this uh, this morning. I think there has gotten to be too much parody in professional sports. You got a 9 and 7 team winning the Super Bowl this year, a 10 and 6 team winning last year. Stupid Cardinals won the World Series. But if you don't have parity, and I first of all don't believe that baseball has parity. Um, uh, I know that look at all, all the wild, there's been a lot that. of wild cards. But here's winners. what I think about here's what I think about baseball. You can have a year or two if you're not spending money where you're really good, but you cannot sustain it. The Rays Maybe are an exception. They are they run exceptionally well, but um, there's still too mu- too much money for, on too few teams. Yeah, but anyway, it's, it's not as bad in baseball as football. But football's yeah. getting ridiculous. But people don't think it's bad. People love it. 
I I'm getting I'm I don't love it anymore. It was fun at first, but now there's never really an upset. You know, no, it, it, never, used, it, it never. used to be cool. Like if a nine and seven team all made it all the way to the Super Bowl, that would be a really cool thing. The whole country would be rooting for them. But you just couldn't do that because you didn't feel like they were much of an underdog. But how could you complain about the World Series last year? That was the best World Series I've ever seen. It, it was <laughs> one it of was, the best. It was very good. But do you honestly feel like the Cardinals were the best team in baseball? Uh, no, no, I don't. I think the Phillies were the best team in baseball. But well, actually, I, I think the Red Sox might have been the best team in baseball. That's the crazy thing. Yeah, but they <laughs> were one of the worst teams in September. And the Cardinals, I mean, if you look at what they did from mid-August through October, I mean, they, yeah, they probably were the best team in baseball. At the time. At the time. But that's what gets rewarded. If you're just good enough to stick around into the last month of the season, whether it's NFL, NBA, or, or Major League Baseball, you know, it, if you get hot at the end, then that yeah, it, it's you know. still it's still hard for me to buy into the, them being the best team in baseball at that point in time. But I I understand what you're saying. I I just feel like I know I, I don't know. I, I, know I feel like saying. I feel like the the regular seasons almost become meaningless, and we invest so much time into it that why do we want to render it meaningless? So are you opposed to adding two wild cards? Well, see that that'll be interesting because it'll it'll set. Obviously, somebody's going to get knocked out right away, and the, the the other wild card team that has to face them in that first round, their pitching rotation is going to be all messed up, so yeah. they're going to be at a clear disadvantage. I I think it's going to actually help um, help keep the best teams in there because the wild card team is going to be at such a disadvantage right away that they'll they'll be more lock, likely to be knocked out. It's long overdue. It's going to help baseball so much because it will keep. Many other fan bases interested in the sport for a long time. Otherwise, you know you're a limit. You have no chance of making the wild card or the playoffs, and there's no need to even root for your team after the All Star break. In so many cases, this this is going to help. I'm glad they're doing this. I hope they can do it for this year. Well, and they're not, doing it the right way. It's uh, it could be this year. It's not. I they hope still so. have to iron it out. But you know, it's not going to extend the um, the postseason by that much. And that that was my big objection to it when it was first raised. So I like the way they're doing it. I'm rarely, if ever, in favor of playoff expansion. But if you're going to do it. I think you know they're doing it the right way. And don't you just feel like if the Falcons won the Super Bowl, Scott White would be the biggest football fan in the world? Oh, absolutely. And, if, <laughs> and, well, and why do you think you know the the Cardinals were just you know such a disappointment for uh, for Scott there because they knocked out the you know uh, Atlanta Braves? Some true. of some of this might be sour grapes over my Atlanta teams. The Falcons finally get good; they're the number one seed in 2010, and and then they get bumped by the eventual Super Bowl champion Packers. Obviously, the Giants came in. And went through, uh, well, they didn't go through Atlanta, but they beat Atlanta in the first round of this year's playoffs. And obviously I have the long history of the Braves putting up great regular season <laughs> records and then losing in the end. So, yeah, I mean, there's some of that going on, too, I'm all sure. Right. Well, that's all right. Get it off your chest. It's fine. It's what we're here for. So uh, here we go with the emails. And let's start with Mark in Goffstown, New Hampshire. Got the emails there, Al? I do. Well, Sure, there it is. There, we found him. Mark in Goffstown, New Hampshire. I'm in a keeper league. How early would you consider Victor Martinez, or would you stay away from him altogether? Uh, in a keeper league? I mean, it'd still have to be pretty late is my initial reaction because the idea is that he could be next year's Adam Wainwright and that if you get him late and you're able to keep him late, obviously he's going to be a huge value as a stud at that price. But... Um, 
usually in fantasy, I'm the mindset you got to go for it now. You had you obviously, if you're remaking that much of a roster, have a chance to win it this year. So why not go for it um, and and not build for next year? So I wouldn't want to invest one of my um, one of the picks that's really going to make up the uh, the the main roster. I, I wouldn't want to invest that on somebody who's going to miss the whole year. Dave Randolph in Cloverdale, California, five by five mixed head to head keeper league can keep three of the following in the rounds listed. Ricky Nolasco, ninth round. Michael Morse, 10th round. Joel Hanrahan, 14th. Ellsbury, 17th. Ding, ding, ding. Right? <laughs> Kobe Rasmus in the 21st. Ricky Romero in the 23rd. Drew Stubbs in the 24th. What stands out, guys? Give me three. Ellsbury, Romero, that's easy, easy, easy. And then I'm going to go Michael Morse in round 10. Um, I really, you know, Hanrahan... Uh, is a nice closer, but can be easily replaced. And um, I, yeah, I'm going to say Stubbs actually in round really? 24 because you know he's obviously going to give you power and speed. Morrison round 10 is okay, but I think you can get him back in the eighth or ninth round, and uh, you might as well just do that if, if you're not going to come close to the 24th round with Stubbs. Tommy in Rhode Island, where do you guys see Daniel Bard's ceiling this year as a starter? Is he worth keeping in a league where I keep 13 people with no penalty each year? Who, I mean, his ceiling is, is really high, but, I mean, <laughs> you know, the floor is really low, too. I mean, this is a guy who hasn't started since A-ball, and, you know, it's a long time ago, and there's been a lot of development since then. But when he was the starter in A-ball, he was pretty horrendous. So, um you know, I, not that I put a whole lot of stock in that, but I'm just saying there's really no real track record to go on here. So in a keeper league where you keep 13 people, um, especially mixed league, uh, I, I can't really see it. Okay. Finally, Ryan in Philadelphia, 14 team, head-to-head points league. I can keep three players, one pitcher, one positional player, and one of my choice. Already keeping Kershaw and Fielder, so pick one. Granky. Carlos Santana, Josh Hamilton, Andrew McCutcheon. Who do you think I'm going to pick, Adam Azer? Andrew McCutcheon. No, Carlos oh. Santana. Oh, oh, yeah, you do. Like, but you like McCutcheon, yeah. too. I do like McCutcheon, too. I would, I would take McCutcheon. It's, it's a tough choice. but um... to, to me, Santana stands out over the catcher crowd, particularly now that Victor Martinez is out because he's the one who I know is going to play every single day. Um, I don't think there's another catcher out there like that. Hey, you guys worried about Josh Hamilton, by the way? Oh, a, a little. I mean, not necessarily because of the, the relapse, um, because, you know, unfortunately that's just, you know, a risk that, that he faces. But, uh, you know, it's it's the, the things that worried us a, a year ago, just with, you know, staying healthy and missing I guess time. I meant specifically the relapse. The relapse. I, you know, I'll tell you what, when I first, you know, caught, you know, got word of it, it was very concerning. But, uh, you know, he handles things the right way. He's got, you know, people to support him. But the Rangers have, you know, rehired an accountability coach. So he's, you know, that hasn't been a problem for him on the field the last few years. And, and I'm just going to, you know, put that aside uh, when I, you know, consider him for draft day. And we, of course, wish him the best. Thanks, guys. Adam Azer, Scott White, Al Melchior are back on Thursday with much more. All this month, we're helping you get set, talking strategy. What do you do on draft day? Talk to you later.